With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The basketball tradition is established at K-State as the Wildcats become a new national basketball power. All 12,000 fans here at Bramlage Coliseum spilling out onto the court. A huge celebration as Kansas State, for the first time since 1983, has knocked off the Kansas Jayhawks in Manhattan. McGruder off in time, got it! And Kansas State stuns Baylor! Welcome to Bring on the Podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT, filling in for Eric today. JT, how you doing? Doing good. It's... It's still cold in Manhattan, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But you were able to get to the last game, though, right? Because you're, you're in yeah, town, didn't have to worry about barely. that. Barely. <laughs> the, the, the roads, the area roads are still pretty terrible, but yeah, yeah, we made it. That's good. That's good. And our guest today is <clears throat> the basketball editor from Texas A&M site, Good Bull Hunting. David, uh, thanks for coming on. Sure, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and... You know, K-State playing A&M this week in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, and I, I wanted to start off with, I, I just hope we can all agree that I think it's really stupid the SEC Big 12 Challenge happens in the middle of a conference play. I think it's a good thing overall, but I, I would so much rather see it in December, and I think Bruce and, and other coaches have said the same thing. Where do you guys feel on that? It does feel a little out of place for me to have this game land in the middle of a of the conference grind. I'm sure you guys feel the same way because you get used to thinking about opponents strictly in the context of how it affects the conference standings, right? And then out of nowhere, you just have to drop that perspective completely. So I agree. It, it's a bit odd. I know the K-State coaches have complained about it before, you know, because like you said, you get in the, the conference mode and then all of a sudden you got to play some random game. And then you got to try to get back into conference mode, and conference mode is just—it's just different. I mean, you see these teams, especially now in the Big Twelve, you see everybody twice. I mean, you're—it's a different film set, it's a different mindset, it's different practice, and you know, it's just kind of annoying. I, I think these would definitely be better as a as a mid-December feature game when mm-hmm. when usually teams are playing Podunk U. <laughs> yeah. And this matchup in particular seems a little bit odd to me. I think on paper, I mean, maybe West Virginia at Tennessee would be equally or, or more uh, lopsided. But but this one, like even you just look at the, the preseason rankings and you know what teams could have expected, and like no, you know, no disrespect to Texas A and M, but 
you know, K-State was supposed to be this great team coming back, and Texas A&M had some guys go pro that kind of derailed their roster. I mean, did it, did it surprise you at all to see this matchup? you feel like you guys kind of got the short end of the stick here? I think from a couple different perspectives. So you nailed it. We did have a pretty significant loss to either the NBA or just people trying their luck in the G League or going overseas. But we also had some really poor injury luck with Admon Gilder being ruled out for the year as senior returning guard before the season started. We didn't really have the roster construction to take that kind of hit. So I think that was kind of the first. That was our first sense that things might not be going (laughs) that well for us this year. But just from a larger sense, it's never really made sense to me why they wouldn't pair us with someone from the Big 12 South, right? There's so much more history (laughs) with any of those five programs. Now, we got to the point where when we hit our stride in the mid to late 2000s and early 2010s, I'm sure you guys remember there were some really good A&M K-State games there year after year after year. So we did. Mm -hmm. We developed somewhat of a history with you guys. But it's still not quite the same as what we had with the Big 12 South. So from that perspective, it surprised me. And then, yes, it probably wasn't too tough to see preseason that this might not have been a like-for-like matchup either. So I've just got to tell you guys, I don't know what criteria they consider for this Big 12 SEC thing. From from what I can gather, there's not really much rhyme or reason to any of it. Yeah, it's it's strange. I don't know, JT, you have any insight on that? Yeah, I agree with, with David for sure. I, I would think Texas A&M fans would rather see a matchup with, with even Baylor than K-State. I, you know, you'd I'd rather see a matchup with Missouri because of that history that we have. I mean, I know in this case we saw them earlier this year mm-hmm. in, in a, a tournament, but at the same time, it's that old foe. And I, I'm sure KU fans are the same way. They'd rather see Missouri than, well, they they may not care. They'd probably rather see Kentucky <laughs> or, you know, some other team well, like that. Well, they'll but, say that just because the, Bill Self says that. So they don't want right. to disagree with Bill Self. <laughs> <laughs> I think secretly KU fans do want to play Missouri again, but anyway. And so, David, I mean, you you kind of alluded to it. You sort of figured this season wouldn't be great with some of the things that happened in the offseason. I mean, how is it comparing to expectations? It's been a ride, guys, up to this point because we we started quite poorly. We started, we came out of the blocks one and four. I do want to note that only one of those four losses were, did we really get wiped off the floor, and that was that was a trip to Gonzaga, and I feel like there's all but a handful of teams that would survive that trip up to the Northwest. But uh, we'd had a lot of we also had some one possession losses early in the year. We kind of never seemed to close games out. We hit our stride as we approached some of the easier cupcake games heading into December. Uh, we got a decent enough win in a neutral site game in Portland against Oregon State. That was our first P5 victory of the year. That kind of got people excited a little bit. And then just as optimism was just just beginning to swell up, Texas Southern came in and smacked us at home by 15. Um, and I know that Texas Southern is – they're good by SWAC standards. They're, they're going to be yeah. the type of team that gets a 16 seed. They might even be the first SWAC team to get off the 16 line. But you don't lose to, to a team like that by 15 yeah. at home. So and, that kind of – Texas Southern, that really, do they still do the thing where they just play an absurdly difficult schedule and every game is away from home? They do, yeah. yeah. They, they just load up the wagon, and they go every year, and they play 12 or 13 in a row away from home to start the year. So they still do that, yeah. Yeah, okay. And we were, we were the last one. <laughs> we, we, were the, we were the final the final stop and did not go well for us. Yeah. Uh, we had 
another fleeting week of optimism. We played well at Rupp Arena, even though we lost. We took a 10-0 lead at Rupp Arena. Uh-huh. We took that game late. We eventually lost to Kentucky by 11, but it was actually a pretty close game. We then followed that up with a really surprising win at Alabama, and people were feeling good, guys. We had, for the first time, two, I would say, legitimately good outings back-to-back, which is why it's all the more frustrating that we followed that up with two absolute duds at home. Auburn came in, and you guys have, I'm familiar with Auburn. I'm sure they're a top-20 program this yeah. year. Yeah. Getting beat at home by Auburn is is nothing. It, it's not terribly disappointing. They, I, I watched that game. They played well, and they deserved their victory. But you spoke earlier about your game against Missouri. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Mizzou, they came into Reed Arena 0-3. Right. Uh, they lost John Tape Porter earlier in the year, so they're well, also the you know, suffering some injury yeah. concerns. Yeah. And they just smoked us, guys. At one point mm-hmm. this game against Missouri, we were losing 50-23 to at home. So that's that's the kind of beating that it was. And that's why any Aggie you talk to right now is just despondent about the basketball program because it appears, it appears that the wheels are falling off. Because now we're looking at a stretch since the new year where we've lost 5 of 6 with really just the one... Uh, a TJ Starks three-pointer at Bama at the buzzer to, to save us. So there's not a ton of optimism. And I think even though the writing was on the wall, this still might be a little worse than people were expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, yeah. So I'm a Mizzou grad. I went there for the journalism school. So I've, I've gotten a chance to watch them a few times this year. And they, they had a stretch in there where they looked okay. But yeah, they got back in SEC play and started looking poorly again. So yeah, it was kind of a shocker to see that in College Station. And they did whatever they wanted in that game, guys. It was, I can't stress that enough. I mean, it's a 23-point final margin of, of defeat. It could have been whatever deficit they wanted. They could have picked a number between 1 and 50. It was it was just one of those days. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about something that I think Texas A&M, K-State have in common, and that is terrible offense. <laughs> and, you know, we, we've talked about Kansas State a lot, and A&M is not quite as bad by the Kim Palm numbers, but... It's close, and K-State has improved about 30 spots in the last couple weeks, so, so that's a good sign. But I don't know, I mean, for Kansas State, it's, it's certainly it started with just the inability to shoot jump shots, and it seems like maybe for A&M it's sort of the same way. It is, and I'm not sure this is going to be the prettiest basketball game ever played, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we do. We suffer, we suffer a lot of the same issues uh, offensively. We made a, There was this big push in the offseason that we were going to try to play you know, seven seconds or less, find the best shot you could early, guard heavy, you know, maybe like three guards, a wing and a big, which is a pretty significant transition for us from what we used to be. And we kind of set out to do all these things, but we forgot that we didn't really have any shooters on the roster. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like, you can say these things all you want, but it doesn't really land if you don't have the personnel. So that's what we've come up against. And you see if I've got the, the Ken Palm splits pulled up as well. We have slid down to 344th and three-point shooting in the nation. There's only 353 eligible <laughs> D1 teams for that statistic, so that about sums up what a traditional offensive possession looks like for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, something that, that K-State did well on Saturday, and JT, you can speak to this as well, is that they didn't shoot as many threes, and Xavier City's need especially made more of an effort to get inside, get to the bucket, and you know, even for, for K-State, you know, normally you wouldn't say this, but I think in a lot of cases a 15-footer is a better shot than a three-point shot. Seems yeah, those, and really it's been the last three games or so. Yeah. The guys seem to be just taking the shot where they're at. Instead of, like, looking for the three-point line or trying to run the offense to where they're they're hitting back at the three-point line, 
they're either you know passing up that shot for a closer drive and, and a jump shot, or especially Barry Brown is just he you know maybe he's just getting the ball at twenty feet instead of trying to back out to get a three. He just takes a shot there, and so yeah, it's a long two, but he's been on fire there. I think that's really you know boosted a lot of these guys' confidence. It's just hitting those jump shots, and I think that's. It, it seems like maybe that's been a point of emphasis in practice lately is to just just take the shot. Don't worry about where you're at. Don't worry about trying to get a three. Just take the shot. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's something that A&M could try out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. The best thing we've had working for us in all seriousness is to create chaos and to try to get a shot in the chaos. We struggle against half-court sets, mm-hmm. but when we play quick, we do have some guys that can get to the rim. That's pretty much our best place to just try to create f- this frenetic action and to just attack that action before the defense can truly get set. So that's about our best play. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you get back and get all five guys set with a foot in the paint, you're already in a great spot. Yeah, and, and I would assume one of those guys that can create his own shot is, is TJ Starks. He's your leading scorer. He shoots the most, but his, his percentages are, are pretty ugly. I don't know, what have you seen from him this season? His curse is that he's basically our best and only creative outlet. So he does shoot a lot. His usage rate is the highest in the SEC by a pretty healthy margin. Uh, And his field goal percentage isn't that great. But every time you start to get frustrated with him, all you have to do is watch three possessions with him off the floor and you realize we got to get this guy back out there. Because if (laughs) we're playing in any offensive set against a half-court defense without him, nothing happens. So... Yes, he does shoot a lot. Yes, he has his turnover rates a little high. But he does. He has that burden of basically the weight falls on him to either get a good shot or create a good shot in every half-court possession. So I don't know too many guys that would hold up well with that expectation. And I think that's something he's struggling with this year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we can relate back in the day. If you go back to the Woolridge and Asbury years, I think there were some guards that, that struggled with that same curse. When you say JT, guys like Larry Reed and... You know, people. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, we've seen guys like that off and on, yeah, forever. At least mm-hmm. since maybe since Long Kruger left. Mm-hmm. And another thing, you know, looking at at A and M, it seems like that they've got a lot of guards that that play a lot of minutes. Is this a team that that likes to play small? We like to play small. It's kind yeah. of a function of what we have left. Yeah. We just lost so much height in the off right. season right. that we just looked at what we had left, and we had one choice, and that was to play small. <laughs> but yeah. the bigs have been the strength of the team. We have two transfers, Josh Nebo and Christian Mekarulu. They effectively split 40 minutes among them every game. And that 40 minutes of combined uh, contribution, honestly, it's above average power five contribution. So what they give us at the five is honestly pretty good on both ends. We've got Savion Flag, who gives us 35, 36 minutes a game of pretty good kind of lighter four action. It just mm-hmm. falls apart. Uh, with the other three positions um for a team that's as guard heavy as we are the offensive production from the guards really hasn't been there so that's that's where we have struggled is it's that that's the style we're forced to play but we don't have the horses for that style if that makes sense yeah and flag i mean he has some some pretty impressive numbers you know but i guess is he a guy that you kind of have to help him create a shot then or could they get him the ball more yeah, I would say he he's a glue guy. He's the he's the type of guy where you don't really notice what he's doing, but he ends up with 16 and 8 with good metrics just about every game. I mean, he's he's there. He he gives us 
plus defensive minutes. His foul rate is very good. He does not foul often, but he's he's kind of destined to be the fourth best player on a really good team. You know what I, you know those mm-hmm. kind of guys yeah. who you know they're not really built to be the second option. They're, they're just built to be quality starters on a good team. That's the kind of guy he is. But he is forced into that second option role, and I don't really think that's who he is. Yeah. And then, you know, talk about the, the defense, too. I mean, I'm sure missing the big guys, but also just missing a guy like Robert Williams, who's just such a game changer on the defensive end. I was actually lucky enough to cover him his senior year of high school, and you can imagine what he did to high school kids. Uh, Man, that must have been an athletic, <laughs> athletic mismatch. That must have been something else. Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he was playing at a small school, too. Like he averaged about 10 bucks a game. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but so we, yeah, we we do miss that. I, I do want to highlight. So Josh Nebo is his per forty block and defensive metrics are pretty dang good. They're yeah. not Robert Williams good, but Robert, mm-hmm. you know, Williams was a was a first round lottery right. or not a lottery, but he was a first round selection. Right. So we actually our rim protection has almost recovered, but again, it's the guards, the guys out top, really, really can't stop penetration uh, we don't close out the way we should the defensive the defensive issues we have i would say are you know 15 to 25 feet from the basket mm-hmm. and that seems like something jt that could, that could play into k-state's hands don't you think yeah that the zone and and or not zone excuse me the man and switching man defense that the k-state plays really you know harry's shooters out and i mean just about everything that, that David's described so far about the AM offense is they're going to struggle with the K-State defense. And then conversely that, I mean, K-State's seen just about everything at, at this point on offense. It's the, the more we talk, the more confident I feel about this game. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's good yeah. because yeah, I wasn't that's... already before. <laughs> no, that's. I think you guys caught me at a very good time for you because we're. Mm-hmm. This is probably our emotional <laughs> low point of the season, uh, just given the way the results have tracked up to this point. So, uh, you're not going to get much pushback from me. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, and well, you know, and this that's good because, you know, this is one that just looking at the numbers and where AM is and how strong the rest of the club is. Like, even though it's a road game, I think you could argue this would be. K-State's worst loss. So if you're talking about NCAA resume left on the roster, you know, like I don't think it'd be bad, as bad as it's also lost. That one was still, that, that hurts. But uh, <laughs> this seems like one that, that Kansas State really can't, can't afford to lose if they want to, you know, try to get a decent seed or maybe even just get in the tournament. You know, we'll say that they've created some breathing room there, which is good, but I don't know, long way to go. Long way to go. But, I mean, JT, it does seem like K-State has become, and not just this year, really. I mean, the last couple years, Kansas State's become a really good road team in conference play, yeah. at least. Um, you know, how do you think uh, Bruce has turned that around? I think maybe maybe it has something to do with, with these guys getting maybe too hyped up at home. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, yeah, the last three or four years, they seem like they often play better on the road. Mm-hmm. When they can just, you know, the, the focus on the game and, and the crowd noise is just crowd noise. And, I mean, they've, they've played well at Kansas, of all places, when, yeah. you know, historically K-State teams going back 30 years do not play well at Kansas. So the last three or four years, these guys have played well at Kansas. You know, I, I think maybe, at, you know, like I said, at home, I think they just 
they get too hyped up. They get they let the crowd get to them too much. When the boo birds start flying, when a you know a call goes the wrong way, they hear that and it gets in their heads. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of immaturity. But this year, it seems like they're maybe feeding on that instead of letting it get to them at home. But I still think they play better on the road when they can just focus on basketball and be a good basketball team. Yeah. And just to, to drive the point home, I actually looked it up, and it's amazing, but K-State, the last three seasons, only KU has more road wins in conference play. And K-State's got 10 of them. So that's kind of a crazy stat. But, and, and Bruce Weber keeps pulling all these like goofy stats, you know, <laughs> yeah. most top 25 wins and most yeah. you know this and most that, and you're like, how does that happen? And, uh-huh. Yeah, you look back like, wow, I guess he really did. I, I mean, you wouldn't think so watching the games in person, but you know, or watching them on. But yeah, he keeps piling them up. Yeah, and then I mean, the other part of that, David, I would assume that we won't see the most electric atmosphere in College Station on Saturday. You won't, and that bums me out a little bit because I was a product of an era when we really were good, and the place was rocking, and we had mm-hmm. the, the campouts and the line out the door eight hours for tip, you know, we had all that going and it could not be farther from that right now. I can't say I blame the current student body. The program hasn't really given them much this year to work with, but that is an accurate assessment. Uh, you're, you're just not going to get a ton from the home environment this game. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, you know, there, there's a lot of young guys on this team. So like a lot of sophomores, especially, are, are you seeing some growth from those guys? Is there anything encouraging to look at for the future? Yeah, I would say Flag has really has really jumped up. He this is his sophomore season. He was kind of a rotation guy. He has become, like I said, like a plus wing, a plus a small four uh, by Power Five standards. We've got Josh Nebo for another year after this. We've got some good guys coming in next year, mm-hmm. but it, the future is not really that bright. And I think that's why some people are really starting to uh, the natives are starting to get, to get a little restless around town because there have been some roster management concerns kind of in the few years leading into this season. And given that the pipeline's not extraordinarily loaded for next year, there's mm-hmm. you know there's some people wondering if we have the right guy at the helm right now. So yeah. I would say this, if things don't improve in the next six weeks, you could very well see us uh, in, involved in the coaching carousel come okay. mid-March. Okay. Yeah. Are uh, A&M fans at all worried about you know kicking a coach to the curb that just took their team to the Sweet 16? That's a good question, and that's a fair point because not only did he take us last year, he took us two years prior. So that's completely fair, but I think his overall body of work does open up a different line of questioning. Even though he did get to the 16 two out of the prior three years, uh, there were no tournament appearances to four years before that, and we certainly appear to be on the road towards a another non-tournament appearance this year. So when you take the body of work, when you take the two out of eight years, the fact that there's not a ton coming in, the fact that we have some rumblings of some potential transfer activity. There are some guys that don't appear to be too happy. No, it's, it's certainly a fair question, but I just bring it up because I mean, even, even here, just two and a half weeks ago, you know, there were pretty strong grumblings that, you know, the, the fan base here in in Manhattan might be willing to, to push out Bruce Weber after taking his team to the elite eight. Of course, things have, you know, again, turned around since then, but it's, you know, it, it, I understand where where A and M fans are coming from. Yeah, you know, I think we should just consider. Uh, I don't think any of us are that stable. <laughs> Anyone who cares about college sports as much That's as we true. do, I don't think I don't think it lends itself to rational thought. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
And then the other thing, you know, the guys who left, obviously Robert Williams, I think everybody knew he was going to leave. I mean, it was almost like you felt lucky to get him for two years, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. But those other two guys, you know, do you wonder if that's what they, they just wanted to get out of the program? Because that, that was kind of surprising that they left, they left, right? It was. And with Hogue, DJ Hogue was, he was one strike away from getting kicked out of the program. He'd been suspended, I think, two or three different times. He was just, it was the worst kept secret on earth that he wasn't that happy in the program. So even though he was, of the three of them, the worst NBA prospect, his departure did not surprise me. What surprised me was Tyler Davis leaving because he was a fringe prospect. He was seen as a either late second round or undraftable guy, but he was a model citizen and a dang good college player. And on top of that, his game didn't really seem like it would translate that well to the NBA. You know, He's a guy born 15 years too late, a power forward who would have thrived in the mid-90s when you dumped the ball to the block 40 times in an NBA game. But, I mean, we all know that's not how the NBA works anymore, right? So that someone with that skill set, there's not really that much of a demand. So I thought he was going to come back for his senior year, maybe extend his range, learn how to shoot threes, which seems weird to say, but at least kind of try to push his range beyond 10 feet. And when he jumped, that stung because he didn't get drafted. He did get picked up on a two-way deal, but I think he spent most of his time in the G League. And it kind of hurts when you lose guys early to that uncertain future. It kind of makes you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I guess just as a K-State parallel, if I would have been like, you know, Barry Brown tested the waters and Cam Stokes, it would have been almost like if one of those guys would have left. Fortunately, that didn't happen, and and K-State has reaped the benefits of a returning roster. But let's zoom out just a little bit. The SEC, you know, I think last year a lot of us sort of scoffed at the idea that the SEC is getting better. But then when they actually won the Big 12 SEC Challenge for the first time, that was a little bit maybe of a wake-up call. And just the depth of that conference and how much it has improved, I think, in the last few years. Is it still, you know, that solid? I think so. And I'll tell you guys that that really wasn't an accident. There was a directive three years ago where the SEC commissioner said he gave strict scheduling standards. And basically he said, guys, the, the ridiculous 250-plus Ken Palm cupcakes, they've got to stop or they've got to be reduced. Uh, that was kind of an SEC you know, walking stick. Was And I say that as someone who, who had only seen it for two or three years up to that point, but yeah. everybody just scheduled cupcakes everywhere uh, in the non-conference and basketball. And the, and the commissioner said, this is why we're getting two, you know, sometimes three or or." if we're lucky four bids out of 12 or 14 teams, it's because the RPI, these metrics that the committee uses, you know, the SEC just falls flat. So there's been a push for scheduling uh, improvements and there's been a push for for people basically to take basketball more seriously, to hire better coaches. And I think you've seen both of those things play out. The good news about college basketball is that if, if the commissioner's office pushes a scheduling mandate, you can fix it pretty much immediately because everyone's non-conference is basically an open slate year to year. Right. So yeah. We were able to make those changes pretty quick, and I think you're seeing the result of that. Uh, the SEC, I have it now. I don't think we're the top. So we're, we're the fourth best conference, uh, according to Ken Palm right now. Mm-hmm. But we are kind of, you know, there's a drop-off after number four. So I think yeah. what we've done is we've we've established ourselves as, if not at the top of the top tier of conferences, if you want to put yeah. those four together, we are at least in that group yeah. now. And I think I think that's a result of the things that, that I mentioned. Yeah. Since you've got it pulled up, I'm just curious, how far has the Pac-12 fallen? Oh, it's it's nuts. So I'll just rattle it off real quick. So when they're adjusted, it's a plus-minus ranking where zero is a perfectly average conference. Uh, the uh-huh. Big Ten is plus 17.23. The Big 12 is plus 17.06. The ACC is plus 15.66. 
the SEC is plus 14.15, and there's a big dip. The Big East is fifth at 11.93, even bigger dip, Pac-12 at 7.33. So there's, honestly, the Pac-12 is barely above the AAC yeah. at this point. Yeah. Crazy. That conference is just falling apart everywhere. Football, basketball, I, I'm... Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. nuts. It's bad yeah. out there. Yeah. But then, so to, to flip that around, I'm kind of interested, you know, what's your outside perspective of the Big 12, you know, especially kind of from everybody, KU streak, of course, is always the big storyline, and, and we kind of have discussions within the conference of, you know, does that make our league look weaker, or, you know, is that... Do, do other people just recognize that as, as KU being really, really good every year? I think the emergence of TCU specifically, when TCU came in and they were kind of getting beat up by everybody, and I, I forget who else it was, but I think there was a time there where we all had two doormats and eight pretty good teams. But now I really feel like even though West Virginia isn't looking that great, I feel like in the last couple of years it's been 10 pretty solid clubs, and the fact that you all play home and home and home everybody every yeah. year I put this on Twitter a couple days ago where I said, I kind of miss Big 12 basketball in a way. Yeah, I, I miss I miss the familiarity. I miss the quality. But also, I just miss playing teams that were close to me. That's something that the program, just as a quick aside, that's kind of hurt us a little bit. We're having trouble getting people interested in a game against Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a problem in football, and it's not a problem in baseball because the SEC is baseball crazy. But men's basketball, it's tough to get your random Aggie to – to really clue in when an SEC team comes to visit that's not LSU, Arkansas, or somebody that we have some legitimate history with. Yeah. Or so, Kentucky, yeah, I, right? I, yeah. Kentucky fans probably get excited when Kentucky comes to town. Yeah, and so obviously that's a huge draw, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the only problem with hosting Kentucky guys is that you have to host about 5,000 oh, yeah. Kentucky fans. <laughs> yeah. <So that's, laughs> yeah. That comes with a problem of its own. But no, I think I think the Big 12 is rightfully considered on the up and up and really pushing the ACC for, for best conference in college basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that other doormat you were thinking of was Texas Tech, who's now mm-hmm. you know a top fifteen team. I mean, it's shows you just you know what'll happen if if you can get the right coach in and the right system, the right place. You can. That is who I was thinking of, and you're right. Yeah. So who's? I mean, you guys tell me who's who's the mark? Who's the one you look at on the schedule? And it's kind of it's kind of a, a little break. Nobody. I mean, yeah. Nobody. <laughs> That's kind Nobody. of what I was, that's what I was looking at here. Yeah, that sounds about right. And, I mean, you know, West you, Virginia's bad this year, and obviously they just beat Kansas at, at home. I mean, it's not like I mean you can you can't take a, a, a game off in, in the Big Twelve. And you look, I mean, the crazy thing is right now. Like, um, so as we're recording this, KU and Iowa State are playing, but also uh, Baylor is playing, and you know Baylor's got a chance to make it a five-way tie for first, and three of those teams were, I think, were picked to finish in the bottom half of the conference. So, it's crazy. I think though, I think that's going to work for you guys come selection time. I think, I mean, if if it certainly feels like an eight-team year. I mean, just being honest, I think that's the sort of thing y'all could pull off this year. Especially with Pac-12's one bid league, which I would love to see. <laughs> so. Man, I mean, we're joking, but in my it's it's not the most impossible thing. Who knows? Who, yeah. who, who knows who yeah. else is, deserves to be in from that crew? Yeah, it could happen. It could happen. Well, I, th- I think that's about all I got. All right, David, thanks a lot for, for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope we have an, an interesting game. Everybody stays yeah. injury-free, and uh, best of luck the rest of the year. Yeah, same to you. You too. So all right, thanks, guys. <laughs>